to the Music Money Mentor Podcast. I am your host, Alexis Lewis. I'm the CEO of Growth Group, an accounting and business management firm that exclusively serves the music industry, where we help music creators make, manage, and multiply their money. Today is Tuesday, February 25th, 2020, and we're going to talk about what the IRS really expects to see on your music business tax return. So here's a direct quote from the IRS. Historically, taxpayers in the entertainment industry tend to be aggressive or abusive when deducting expenses that may or may not be related directly to their business activities. Our goal is to bring the allowable deductions back within the confines of the code. So you now know first step what the IRS is looking to do. Their goal is to bring your deductions back down to what's not an aggressive or an abusive behavior. So let's break down what exactly that may mean. And I'll tell you some things that you're going to need to know in preparing your tax returns going forward. And also some things that you need to know in terms of if you're ever audited. So let's get started. The first thing to know is that if you do end up in an audit, know that the IRS agent will research you on the internet. So stop thinking that you can keep earning money from shows and in cash and all of those other things, but they'll never find you. You're not that difficult to find. Within the guide that the IRS has, it tells their agents to look you up on allmusic.com, to look you up on discogs.com, to look you up on musicbrains.org, and they're going to do that. And so they're going to be able to search for you and also be able to find you or your band on Instagram and Facebook and all the other places that you may be, and they're going to know what you have going on. So in the event that you wind up in an audit, they're going to know, hey, let's look back and see where they would have been receiving income from, and then they'll start from there. So keep in mind that what you're putting on the internet is something that they can easily find and they'll be able to decide, okay, what income should we be expecting to see from that? The second thing that you want to know is that you need to tie your expenses to your income. So for example, if you are recording an album, you will need to have those expenses. If there's large expenses, they're also expecting to see some type of sales. So Again, they're going to start to tie those things together in the event that you're in an audit or any other situation like that. All right. And then I want to also refer you to thinking about travel and meals and entertainment and all of those sort of things that we all have within business. But because you are going on tour or because you have to go to various studios to meet with artists to do songwriting or production, all of those things require travel, require meals, require lodging outside of your home. And so the thing that they're going to need is to know a few things. We've talked about this in a previous podcast when we went over the things that you would need to know in order to deduct almost anything on your taxes. Go back and take a listen to that episode and you'll be able to know exactly what to do. But when it comes to recording your travel and keeping records of that, you'll want to make sure that you have a price, a place, and also a business purpose. And so you'll make sure to have those things when it comes to record keeping when you're doing lots of travel. And 
Another thing, the IRS knows that in the entertainment industry, income fluctuates greatly from year to year. One year you may have a major Grammy award winning chart topping hit and the next year there may be almost nothing going on. So they know exactly what to expect from you. They know that things fluctuate and that they are on top and sometimes and other times on the bottom. And what this creates in the IRS's eyes is a high potential for people who are not filing tax returns. Um, but there's no major difference between people in the entertainment industry and those in any other industry. And so the same filing requirements and filing dates apply. Do not be one of those people who forget to file or just put it on the back burner and don't do it. We've talked about in podcasts prior where that can cost you lots and lots and lots of extra money that you don't need to spend. So if you do nothing else, make sure that you still file. Um, they know that your income is fluctuating and also that the potential for you to not file is very high. And so they're definitely on the lookout for that. The next thing to be aware of is that the IRS is going to know about your income. They train their agents about things like royalties. They know to expect them. Licenses like sync. And they also know that you often get paid in cash. So they're expecting to see some cash deposits in your business bank accounts, either from your cut of the bar when you're playing a show or from people who paid cash for merchandise while at a show. Um, all of those things contribute to cash exchanges that they expect to see in your bank accounts. So they also know that sometimes you may be getting paid in something other than cash. So when you think about Beyonce's song, she says, pay me in equity, pay me in equity. Well, they know that that may not always appear on your 1040 on your tax return, but those things are still taxable. So if you're receiving equity in a business for promoting it, or if you're receiving, you know, gifts like cars or merchandise or products from different companies for including those in your songs or anything like that, those things are taxable and those things should be included in income. So those are the types of things that they're looking at when you're doing commercials, for example, with different companies. Did they pay you in some other way other than cash or you know bank deposits, that kind of thing? Did you receive any sort of gifts or products or merchandise? And those should be included on your tax return as well. So that's something that's part of the income that you're receiving in addition to royalties or licenses that they're expecting to see on your return. They also know that as a performer, you sometimes receive wardrobe or other types of gifts and things, merchandise from the productions that you're working for, whether you're keeping the costumes from a commercial shoot or whether you're working with an automobile manufacturer and you're receiving a new car every year. There's merchandise deals where you're compensated um, in a bartered sort of transaction. They know that those things, whether they're movie studios or recording companies, they know that sometimes they also give you free passes to concerts or shows or screenings and all of those sort of things. Again, they are looking for those things to be part of your income. So you want to make sure that you include those honor all of your expenses. All right. So the other thing about income is they know that some entertainers fail to report all of their income. And so they are looking at your commissions that you're paying to your booking agency. They know that the commissions for booking agencies are generally about 10%. And so then they know that the income that you're reflecting on your return should generally be at least 
10 times the amount of the commissions that are on your return. So sometimes what people will try to do is say, hey, booking agent, expecting a 10 time at showing income of $100,000. So that's what they're checking against as well. Knowing that those different um, commissions and fees are paid, they're looking for the income to match what they're expecting. Um, same thing goes for management fees. Those are typically around 20% of the income that is received by an artist, by an entertainer, by a producer. Um, and those management fees mean that the income should have been at least five times what the commissions were going out to the manager. And so again, they're looking to match up all of your income. And so when they see booking commissions, yes, those are perfectly deductible. Management fees are perfectly deductible, but they also want to ensure that you're reporting all of your income and they know what those general requirements are. So again, like I said from the beginning, the IRS is looking for certain things when they're looking at a music tax return. They're looking for royalties and licenses. They're looking for cash payments, potentially. They're also looking to, to whether or not you received wardrobe or cars or merchandise or any of those sort of things from record companies or automobile manufacturers or producers. And they're also looking to make sure that you're reporting all of your income because it's the truth of the matter. Some entertainers don't report all of their income. And so they're looking to your booking agents and your management fees to see how much income you potentially received. Another thing that the IRS knows about is your advances. So on royalties are common for songwriters, producers, recording artists. They're getting them from their publishers, um, from their PROs, from their uh, record labels. Musicians receive that sort of income in advances, and they're looking for those advances to be reflected on your tax return. Um, and the thing is, you have to report those either when you receive them or within a year of when you receive them till you're recouped to then report the advance. It needs to be reported in a timely manner when you receive the cash. All right, let's move on to expenses. Project. The IRS is going to be looking for several different things. Whether or not you rented a rehearsal space, they're going to be looking for recording studio fees. They're going to be looking for mixing and mastering, album art, graphics, uh, physical product manufacturing. All of those sort of things are expenses that you should be deducting on your tax return when you're working on a project. What you're working on that project is that if you're creating an asset, which is something that money can be made from, like a CD or a video, you may need to deduct the cost of that album over three years instead of all at one time. So generally the way the IRS works is that if you're working on, let's say an album, you have a new EP coming out, let's say you spend $50,000 making that project come to life, then you would be able to deduct percent of that the first year, so that would be $25,000 would be able to deduct another 25%, which would be 12,500, and then you would do that again in the third year. So one of the rules and one of the reasons that people sometimes end up in tax trouble when they're working with general tax practitioners that do not specialize in music is that they're not aware of these nuances that the IRS is looking for um, that are required of people in the music industry. So like I said, if you're doing um, recording a project, an EP, an album, a mixtape, any of those sort of things, and you're renting rehearsal space, 
you know, recording studios, getting mixing and mastering services, album graphics, physical product manufacturing, any of those sort of things, they're going to expect you to treat those a certain way as expenses on your return. So that's one of the things that they're looking for as well. So another thing that a lot of musicians fall into is, am I in a hobby or is this truly a business? And that's one of the things that the IRS is looking for. They're really expecting for you to be materially participating in your business. And they have a seven part test that I'm going to tell you about that would establish whether or not you're actually participating in this and it's actually a business and not just a hobby of yours. And so you need to meet one of these seven criteria in order for them to treat your business as a business and not as a hobby. So the first one is that you need to participate in your business for more than 500 hours during the year. If you do that, they consider that material participation. So if you think about it, there's 365 days in a year working at least, let's say an hour and a half a day, then you would obviously meet that criteria and pass the first test. And again, you don't have to pass all seven of these tests. You can just use one and be able to pass it. So if you're working at least an hour and a half a day on your music business, or you accumulate, it doesn't have to be exactly an hour and a half a day, but if you accumulate 500 hours over the course of the year, they'll treat it like a business. Test is whether or not you are doing most of the work. And so if you participate in the business and you're doing substantially all of the activity in the business for the year, even if it's not 500 hours, they still will consider that you participating materially in the business and they'll consider it a business, not a hobby. So let's say, for example, that you have a manager, you also have a booking agent, you also have a business manager and a lawyer that do work in your business, but you still do the majority of the hours, even if it's not a full 500, they still can see that you've done substantially all of the business activity. And so if that's the case, then they'll consider you a business. The test is that you need to participate in the business for more than 100 hours during the year and you are, again, the one who is doing the majority of the activity. And so as long as you are not doing less activity than anyone else, but you're doing at least 100 hours, they'll consider it a business. So again, you're not having to do a full 500 hours in the business, but even if you are doing less, that means that the less activity you're doing, the more you need to prove that you're the main one doing the activities. So that's one of the tests to keep in mind. So that's the third one. Is that the business is something that requires multiple people, but that all of the activities that are occurring, so all of the different um, rehearsals, mind you, there you may have a full band, but the rehearsals, in total have 500 hours or more or the any type of business activity that is happening, whether that's touring or rehearsing, whether that's um, working on production or songwriting, those things combined with all of the people that are working in the business need to exceed 500 hours. So that's the fourth test. The fifth test the IRS looks back over 10 years. If at least five of those years you were doing material participation, which would be at least 100 hours or 500 hours of active, active activity, 
that they would allow for you to be considered materially participating and therefore it's not a hobby, it's a business. And so again, when they look back over the last 10 years, they see that at least half of those years, five years, you were working in the business in a... The sixth test, let's say that you haven't been in business for a full 10 years. Well, then the IRS is going to look backwards at any of the last three years and whether or not you were participating in the activity in the business in a material way at least three of the last couple of years. So let's say you haven't been in business for a full 10 years. They're still going to look over the last three years to see, was this person doing activity that was related to the business in the last three years? Number seven is just based on all the facts and circumstances. They want to see that you are participating in the business activity on a regular, continuous, and substantial way every single year. For example, they were looking at 2019. Now you are involved in the day-to-day operations of the business on a regular, continuous, and substantial way. To prove that you the day-to-day operations of the business based on the facts and circumstances, then you materially participated in the business and it's a business, not a hobby. So again, there are several tests they apply. Again, you don't have to meet all of them at one time, but if any one of them holds true, then you're good to go. So again, they're looking for the fact that you are in business on a continual basis, that you're putting in the hours, that it's not just a hobby, and that you're participating in the day-to-day operations of the business. Another thing that the IRS knows about entertainers is that when they're successful, a lot of times there's a lot of disposable income, meaning they've got a lot of profit, there's not a lot of expenses, and What they'll do is that often the successful entertainers will start to invest their income in other unrelated business activities. So let's say, for example, that you're a songwriter, but you now also own a farm. Or let's say, for example, that you're an entertainer, but own a private jet company. Those are the sorts of things that are completely unrelated to the music industry, but they are Um, ways that you can invest your money when you've become successful as an entertainer, whether you're a producer or songwriter or an artist. And so what the IRS is looking for from the entertainment professional, very heavily involved in the entertainment industry. They also know that you may be away from home for long periods of time, whether that's performing or songwriting or producing any of those things, and you're generally not able to participate in the day-to-day operations of those unrelated business activities like the private jet company. And so they want to make sure that your business manager or your um, personal manager or all these other employees aren't doing more in those businesses than you are. Because if you are, you can't deduct those against the activity of your entertainment business. Those have to be separate. And so they want to make sure that you're not trying to take losses in the separate business against what you do all the time in entertainment. And so they're looking to make sure that there's not any abuse or aggressiveness in that area. And that if there are losses in those other businesses, that they are limited appropriately said before, the IRS knows that you are traveling on a regular basis to ensure that you can continue to do business and make money. And one of the biggest areas that folks mess up on is that 
they're not treating transportation correctly. So there's a difference the IRS sees between travel and transportation. Travel is anywhere outside of your main city. So they're looking at, you know, you took a plane, train, bus, et cetera, to get to where you were going. However, transportation is more sort of the day-to-day movement within what you have to do in your city. And so commuting expenses, like going back and forth to work, even though it's ordinary and necessary for your business, it's not deductible. Even when you're going back and forth from home, the commute does not become deductible. But there's an exception to this rule where if your home is your principal place of business, meaning you have a home office, well, that's a case in which it's no longer commuting and it becomes deductible. So we often want to make sure that if you do have a home office, if you are using your home office or home studio as your primary place of business, that now those day-to-day transportation costs can now become deductible. So that's one thing that the IRS is looking at. Do you have a home office? And if you don't, then you shouldn't be taking very many um, mileage or automobile type of expenses because commuting is not deductible. However, um, they are looking to see whether or not of business is at home. And if it is, then you'll be able to get those deductions remember is that when you're on travel, you're often going to have meal expenses and they want to make sure that those are not illustrious and luxury type items. Um, They need to be ordinary and necessary that the expenses are directly related to your trader business. So if you're going out of town and you have to eat, obviously that's directly related to the business. So long as the trip as a whole was a part of that as well. The IRS knows about the entertainment industry is that continuing education is common. Allowed is from courses or classes that you're taking in order to be able to further yourself in your career. This can include deductible things like tuition, supplies, books, and car expenses. Like I said before, all of those things are deductible um, based off of you being in the entertainment industry and needing to keep up with the new skills that you need to improve. One of the things that they want to make sure of, though, is that the course or training that you're doing is directly related to your business and it either maintains or improves the skills that you already have. It doesn't qualify you for a brand new business that you're not already in. So, for example, if you are a singer and then you decide that you want to get into production, maybe that puts you into a completely different bracket or business than you were in before, and that may not be deductible. So, they're looking at whether or not this is something that's maintaining or improving your skills or whether or not this is something that qualifies you for a brand new trader business. Another thing that the IRS is so aware of and they're always looking for on tax returns is they know that entertainers have been known to make a very, very convincing argument about how much they have to spend to quote unquote stay on top or to keep current. But regardless, most of those items that keep you on top are typically overlapping too much with your personal expenses to be business deductions. And so one of those types of items that folks often ask us about and we have to tell them, look, it may not be deductible, is related to wardrobe, makeup, that sort of stuff. Um, And in order to be able to deduct clothes as a business expense, there are three requirements the IRS has that must be met. 
The first one is that the clothes have to be required by your business. So that would be the first test. The second one, and again, you have to meet all three of these tests, that the clothes must not be suitable for general or personal wear. So it has to be something that can't be just worn out in general on a day-to-day basis. So for example, if you think about someone who works on a construction site, it may be a hard hat or steel-toed boots or the bright colored safety vest that they wear. Those things are not personal wear or general use. Those are specific to being in the business and being within that environment. And the third test is that the clothes must not be worn for personal or general wear. And so just because it may not be suitable doesn't mean that people can't wear it. And so they wanna make sure that you're not wearing it for personal reasons or general reasons, that it's not even suitable for general or personal reasons, and also that it's required by your business. So if those are things that you meet in those tests and requirements by the IRS, you would be able to deduct your wardrobe. But if not, then that's one of the one of those three major things that the IRS is looking for. So again, to make sure that you report all of your income, that you are reasonable in your expenses, and that also you make sure that you're not doing anything that's outside of the music industry and trying to couple that together with it. Like when you're successful and you start to get into investing into other business related activities. So again, hopefully that was helpful for you all. Um, Oftentimes we see audits happen within the music industry and people either didn't file and so they don't have the proper records or they were trying to be too aggressive with expenses and those things were actually personal in nature or they're not reporting all the income. And remember, the IRS is looking you up on the internet so they know what to expect. So again, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one.